0: Hi everyone, welcome to Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret Podcast. I'm Teresa Melito Connors, a doctoral level educational administrator and mental health practitioner focused on helping you, our world's helpers. Every day we have a choice to prioritize our well-being, to incorporate reflection, recovery, renewal, and resilience strategies into our lives. However, those of us who step up and serve our communities and healthcare, education, nonprofit spaces, and more can struggle with putting ourselves first. I've seen this firsthand, and it's a challenge. Enter Dr. MC's Self Care Cabaret podcast. Here we have real, intimate conversations with leading experts passionate about accessible, sustainable self care in its 10 domains. It's all about the hard work we can take on together. To find our spotlight. Before we dive into today's guest, I want to talk a little bit about our bodies and the relationship that you have with your body. And I invite you to maybe just take a moment and really think about everything that your body does to keep you going day in and day out. Things that just automatically happen, things you take for granted and more. We tend to be really hard on our bodies, beat ourselves up. We think we know better than our bodies, but we don't. Our bodies are really, really smart. So if you feel so inclined and maybe want to work a little bit on your relationship with your body, and this episode interview will definitely want you to do more of that, but I encourage you to write yourself a letter. Write a letter to your body, maybe a letter of appreciation or gratitude And literally just start with dear body and go from there. I've spent many years being really hard on my body and not appreciative for all the things that it does for me and continues to do for me every day. And sometimes it's just nice to take a second and practice some gratitude for it and appreciation as you work to change your relationship with your body. And today we are going to talk to Patrilli Hernandez, who is a fat, multiracial, neuroatypical queer femme of the Puerto Rican diaspora. They have worked in the health and nutrition sector as an educator, advocate, and policy analyst for 15 years, which has shaped their understanding of how the pursuit of health seamlessly intersects with the built environment equity, and social justice. It wasn't until they were diagnosed with an eating disorder in 2017 that they realized how much of their own disordered behaviors and thoughts around food, health, and bodies infiltrated all aspects of their personal life and career. Since then, Patrilli has focused on recovering and healing from their eating disorder, negative body image, and internalized oppression. Patrilli uses their own Lived experiences and body liberation journey to disrupt the status quo of current health and wellness spaces, including advocating for a paradigm shift largely informed by social determinants of health. Combining their academic background in culinary arts, anthropology, nonprofit management, public health, and nutrition, Petrilli currently works as a consultant, partnering with medical, healthcare, and education providers and in integrating weight inclusive. Interdisciplinary and multidimensional strategies that aim to improve the health of historically marginalized populations. And without further delay, here is our conversation. All right, Patrilli, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Teresa. I am um, ecstatic to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So let's dive right
0: in. We're on the self-care cabaret podcast. So my first question is, how do you like to practice self-care?
1: Um. So I think that self-care, right? I think self-care is romanticized a lot, mm-hmm. right? Um. When, when When we think of self-care, a lot of people think of like essential oils and bubble baths and massages. And don't get me wrong, I love doing all of that. If you're into astrology, I am a Taurus. Um, so I love kind of the luxurious, um, any like luxury spa service you can get, I love. Um, awesome. But I could put a lot of pressure on myself for um, wanting to practice self-care because I I think, right, like we have to get those spa treatments or we have to um, really have long windows, right? Like of time where we can practice self-care. But for me, I am able to practice self-care all throughout the day um, in many, many actions, right? That help me thrive. And if that even means just barely surviving through the day, mm-hmm. that is self-care, Fair. right? So, <laughs> so what does that look like? It could be something as small as taking my medication Right. I take my medication. That's a form of self-care. Sometimes that looks like stepping away from the computer for 15 minutes and closing my eyes. That's a form of self-care. Boundaries are a form of self-care. Yes. We love
0: boundaries here.
1: Yes. (laughs) in uh, your relationships. Um, So if you're like, oh, I can't I I can't do that. I'm at capacity. That's self-care for me. So um, I really do look at kind of the little things. And um, those are just kind of three examples that I use day to day. Yeah,
0: those are great examples. We don't talk about mani-pedis and spa days here at the self-care cabin. Oh, great. Awesome. Although, I mean, but, they're lovely. But I love them. Yeah,
1: 100%. I love a good mani-pedi.
0: 100%. But that's not like the real meaning of self-care like that's much more like what you were talking about like setting those boundaries making sure you're taking medication you're giving yourself breaks rest is important relationships are important these are all the things that I try to teach in my work with my dog I
1: love that's another great
0: one absolutely so it's not those I think a lot of times people the kind of the wrong idea of it and think, oh, it has to be mm-hmm. this luxurious, expensive totally. thing that takes all day and oh I can't do that. Self so that's how we get into the mindset where people think that
1: it's a luxury and then they they neglect their needs. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you yeah. more. You're hundred percent on target. Well, thank you.
0: And I love that you just dove right in telling me you're a Taurus. We I love astrology. I'm a Pisces. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fun. I mean I'll start asking guests what their signs are. <laughs> I love that. So you also, you know, on your website and whatnot, you describe yourself as a culture examiner, knowledge sharer, and weaver of relationships and ideas. I thought that was beautiful.
1: Can you explain you. a little more about that and the work that you do? Yeah, so I, those kind of roles, those are life roles, right, that I was able to explore. Um, I went on a spiritual retreat a few years ago. And um, we did a lot of introspection around, you know, everyone has this kind of archetype that they might fit into, you know, in, in, in um, life, in the way that we relate to others, in the way that we relate to the earth, right, like to the land. Mm-hmm. So um I was able to do a lot of reflection. And um these three things, these are three archetypes or three roles that show up in various aspects of my life, not just in my professional life, but in my personal life, in my spiritual life, in my life in relation to others, right? How they just kind of show up over and over. So when I identify as a culture examiner, uh, that is something that I have had this kind of natural curiosity um, about the world and why we why we do the things that we do. Ever since I was a very, very young child, mm. my mother, thankfully, was patient with me for most <laughs> of the time because I was asking because I would always be asking, why is this? Why is that? Why is that? Um, she's in early childhood. So I think she was able t- to nurture that in a pretty positive way. But yeah, ever since I was young, I've always wondered, like, what makes people tick? Mm. Right. Why? Why? Do we engage in certain rituals, right, where from a bird's eye view, they look at they they seem to be very random or very, you know, um, insignificant. But when I dive into examining, you know, human behavior, what motivates us to act, to love, mm. to harm, to all of these things? it gives me kind of a sense of understanding and it and it helps me be at peace with things a lot more Mm -hmm. so by being able to examine our environment which culture is part of um, why humanity does what it does it just helps me be at peace with a lot of things right and being at peace doesn't mean that I'm okay with it. Sure. It just means that this is how it is. And I have a little bit more control over how I respond.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So a knowledge share, um, this theme has been coming up a lot in my life recently, but um, I think this role really encompasses my love of books and knowledge and reading and sharing um, and synthesizing what I learn with other people. I um I feel like my head is full of like useless trivia, but they're <laughs> always, but I'm always able to, you know, um share it with folks in like the most random moments that might be my introvertedness, that might be my neurodivergence, right? <laughs> that I just have all these random facts in my head. From just reading and this kind of thirst for information, uh, and that I get really excited about sharing with other people, and I've been told that I can take very complex ideas, and I could um, communicate the driving point in a way that is really accessible to people, which you know. I love hearing that because I want to make information and knowledge as accessible to people as possible. Yeah. Um, I think that truly is um, one of the key factors in organizing for change. Sure. um, Is for people to be informed. Right. Um, So, yeah, so that was the knowledge share role. And the third one, which is a relationship, a weaver of relationships and ideas. um, I think I really, the way that I view the world, and especially this speaks more to my professional experience, I have a background in public health and community nutrition. Um, I was in the culinary and hospitality industry for a while, right? And I've been very blessed with the ability to leverage the skill set and expertise and bits of knowledge from each. Um, field that I've been in or had the opportunity to work in mm-hmm. and apply it to what I'm working in currently. Nice. Um, so for example, a lot of the work now that I do in public health around, you know, deconstructing the status quo, right. And examining the status quo, I I feel like I pull um, a lot of knowledge from uh my anthropology days Mm. right so i have an undergraduate degree in anthropology but a focus on like food nutrition and health i draw a lot from that i draw from um, working on the ground as a nutritionist at a community-based organization i draw even from you know my hospitality days being a line cook or being a server right a lot of the skills that i use around customer service and around working well under (laughs) high amounts of stress. Um, so I'm, so I'm really able to apply that interdisciplinary approach, um, in my work and be able to take ideas, kind of bust open the silos and take ideas and, um, be able to make connections that I think, um, a lot of people won't be able to because they've kind of only confined themselves to one area um, during their profession. So I think I've been lucky in that way. That's awesome.
0: Reminds me a bit of of myself and I have a lot of, we don't need to go into it, but a lot of different experiences and I kind of can pull from like my professional theater background, my dance experience. You're a theater person
1: too. I know that I did theater growing up. Oh my goodness. So we have that in common too. Love it. Speech and debate too. So yeah, like in terms of my public speaking being able to turn myself on and off because yeah. I am introverted like that's totally my theater background that's totally my speech and debate day, speech and, and um speech and debate days awesome that um kind of equipped me with that so I so I love that about you too that's
0: so cool so I think that leads nicely into kind of the work you're doing with your business embody lib so can yeah. you tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah, so um Embodied Lib has been around unofficially since 2018. Um it sprung out of a need for me to pursue recovery mm. um on my own terms, um to pursue eating disorder recovery specifically. So I was diagnosed with an eating disorder uh in winter fall winter of 2017. When I entered uh treatment from January through May of 2018, I was an intensive outpatient. I quickly learned that the treatment model, the diagnosis, pretty much everything was not um, designed with someone like me in mind, Mm. right? I was higher weight. Um, A lot of my disordered eating behaviors, the root of it, right? Wasn't necessarily from a pursuit to be thin. It was some, but a lot of it was, based in trauma around my identity mm. as someone that is a latin person of color um someone that is queer right um someone that navigates invisible like disability yeah. mental illness um i felt i learned very quickly that 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 program was not going to be the sole source of my recovery so what i did um is that i hopped on in i hopped on social media i I hopped on Instagram um, and I just started sharing right what I was feeling and my and my experiences in trying to recover from an eating disorder, um, while also holding these like multiple um, identities that have been historically marginalized. Yeah. And I started finding community and I started learning there were actually a lot of people um, with very similar experiences and so I um set out to develop a platform in which right we could support each other we can em- empower one another um and see if changes could 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 be made but not only in the eating disorder space in spaces where um bodies are oppressed mm. due to um some 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 sort of identity they they hold that that doesn't align with the dominant um social structure sure. right so, People living in higher weight fat bodies, um, people living in black, brown, indigenous um, people of color, uh, people living in queer, right? Whether they're genderqueer or whether they are um, queer in their sexuality, right? All all of the ways that we are othered um, and how that shows up in the body, right? Like how do we examine that and how do we work to change that? So um, embody lib was the result. And that means to embody body liberation. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's it for sure. And so what, so it's been almost five years. It'll be five years in October. And the goal of embody lib is to support people of the global majority. So I call people of the global majority are black, brown, or indigenous people of color, because believe it or not, these people actually make up the majority of the global population, right? People of the global global majority in reclaiming their health and their well-being instead of having dominant social systems define what it is and make it so unachievable right that that we get distracted and just constantly pursuing this notion of health this notion of well-being that was again not designed with people like me in mind so um embody limb right so we do this in a couple different ways. Um, the first is we engage in advocacy. So my Instagram handle is called the Body Lib Ad- Advocate. And that's because I have a pretty strong background in policy work and um, grassroots advocacy. And so I wanted to use mBody Lib as a way to help disrupt the status quo yeah. of um, in Institutions, structures, systems, policies that were negatively impacting the health and well being of Black, Brown, Indigenous people of color. Right. So that's one thing that Embody Lib does. Um, The second is that we engage in a lot of education. We engage in a lot of training. We work with health, medical, nutrition, and wellness providers in in applying weight-inclusive, interdisciplinary, and multidimensional frameworks into their programming, into their organizations that help historically marginalized communities thrive, right? And and we do this all through a body-liberated lens. Um, And so the way we kind of do this, I offer, you know, i do professional coaching we do like project consulting um but mainly we create and facilitate learning experiences so like training right workshops things like yeah. that um and the third thing that embody lib does is um empowerment within communities so we um seek to be in community and help empower a queer, higher weight, fat, black, brown, indigenous people of color and becoming their own body liberation advocates. Um, And um, that is because, right, we can only work on the individual um, for so long until we start coming up with coming against systemic barriers Mm -hmm. that um, keep us from really thriving at our fullest potential. So we have to be working both on the individual level, but also, um, with the collective right on the systemic level to make changes um, in order to pursue what I call body liberation.
0: Yeah. What an incredibly vulnerable and and powerful, I would imagine, kind of process that was for you being. Thank you for sharing. I'm also in eating disorder Mm -hmm. recovery. And so being able to kind of take that and and turn it into something, you know, really powerful to help other people and raise up voices and continue to advocate. That's awesome. Thank you for that work.
1: Thank you. And yeah, this is this is something that I knew I knew as I was going through this. I can't be alone in yeah. this. I can't be alone in this struggle. Um, it's so pervasive. Mm. Right. Throughout the system. And there are so many people struggling. If there weren't, we wouldn't be seeing the things that we're seeing today in terms of health disparities, um, in terms of, you know, like declining mental health. Right. Like the disparities we see in other sectors, education, employment, etc. So I knew from the jump that I couldn't be alone. I just needed to find. I needed to find others. I needed to find you. Right. Like I needed to find um, the community in where we could organize yeah. and turn this into a bigger movement.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Did you hear the news about our exciting new offering from the self-care cabaret? We're calling it talk Back. If you're familiar with the theater space, you may have participated in a talkback before. After a performance, the cast and crew will come back on stage to chat with the audience and answer questions. Think of it as a casual guided discussion. Inspired by this and by popular interest, we've come up with a talkback for the Self-Care Cabaret podcast. Groups will listen to a podcast episode or two of their choosing. Then I'll come and lead your discussion either in person or virtually of those episodes, expanding on the big ideas. It's a great option for groups looking for short, impactful professional development or smaller teams looking to get an introduction to self-care and well-being. We have done a few of these so far, and let me say, they have been so much fun. So if you're interested in bringing a talk back to your group or organization, email podcast at drmcselfcare.com. And now, on with the show. So I'm wondering if you could explain kind of how, how would you explain body liberation to someone who maybe hasn't heard of it before,
1: or isn't quite sure what it yeah. is. Yeah. So body liberation um, has, has gotten a lot more popular. I think since I first, when I first started my platform on Instagram, um, I originally heard body liberation um, from this book called land whale, whale by um, Jess Baker. Say the title again. And Land Whale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By Jess Baker. And this definition really, I resonated a lot with it because I was seeing um, at that time, right, We're about five years ago, there was a emerging interest around body positivity Mm. on social media. (laughs) This was 2018, 2019. And it started becoming more popular. Um, But what I was seeing, I didn't know the roots of it. All I knew was what I was seeing um, in kind of the mainstream spaces. And I was seeing, you know, um, kind of straight size to plus size, but on the lower end, um, usually cis women um, in lighter skinned or white bodies that were, you know, posing in bikinis or, you know, showing their stretch marks or, you know, um, kind of jiggling their bellies or like folding their bellies over. And, you know, I thought I thought that was nice. Like, oh, like this is nice. But as someone that I never, maybe at the height of one of my eating disorder period, like periods of time, but for the most part, my my beauty ideal, Meaning that um the ideal that I grew up with mm-hmm. in my culture. So I'm from Puerto Rico, right? The Latin diaspora didn't really value like super being being super thin as sure. attractive. Sure. Right. So seeing those, right, like I was like, okay, like that's nice. They look like quote unquote quote normal bodies. Right. <laughs> but growing up, even though I had an eating disorder, while well, I still do have an eating disorder. I was never super worried about that stuff, like stretch marks or like a little belly and stuff, because that was kind of normalized, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, To an extent. And so but this was the face of body positivity. And I was like, I don't know, like this just doesn't. It doesn't speak to me. But when I read what Jess Baker defined as body liberation as like, you know, beyond loving your body, it is the knowing that your body deserves to be liberated in whatever state is in, right? Um, and, and as someone that had, you know, deep disdain over my body on multiple levels, not just physically, but I was struggling a lot with with my sexual identity, with my gender, right, with my racial identity, um, body liberation just seemed to fit a little bit yeah. more what I was looking for. But it's, but it's not a new idea, right? Um, Jess Baker, some other folks, you know, the Fat Underground, um, Lynn Lee Ashline, like those folks talk a lot about body liberation, but especially, you know, Black and Brown women, non-binary and gender-conforming people. I'm thinking like Ivy Felicia, Dalia Kingsey, um, Chrissy King, um, Deshaun Harrison, right? Like they've all been able to um, contribute to what I now think is my definition for body liberation. And that, what I believe, body liberation is the journey. So it's twofold, right? It is the journey of examining the systems in which the body is politicized. Mm. And what that means is our bodies, right? There is an inherent value placed on our bodies depending on which social identities we hold right? And their proximity to power, which is the dominant social group, or further away from power. So an example of that is race, right? We look at the way that our economic um, social structures, hierarchies are here in the Western world. We have a tendency to see white people be closer Mm -hmm. to this kind of notion of power and who's furthest away, right? It's usually black folks, right? So it's examining that, right? Why is this? Why are we politicizing the body and how does this inform the way that we navigate through society today? And we're doing this all at the same time. We are embodying liberatory practice I say praxis because it's theory and practice together. That's aimed at freeing ourselves, right? F- freeing ourselves from ourselves. <laughs> freeing ourselves I like that. from our um, in- internalized narratives that, you know, we don't, we're, we're, we're not this, we don't deserve this, right, et cetera. Embodying liberatory praxis aimed at both freeing us, the individual, as well as the collective. Yeah so this is examining systems but also engaging in practices that free the community right so it takes on a much broader approach takes on how we look at policy takes on how we engage um in our civic duty right it engage um that it includes how we show up for justice yeah. so it includes all of that so after all these years of kind of thinking and reflecting on the way that other people define body liberation, this is how I define body liberation.
0: Yeah. No, I love it. And I feel like it's so much, like you said, it's broader, but I feel like it's also deeper than mm-hmm. body positivity. And sometimes, yeah. you know, body positivity, I see those posts on Instagram too, and some of them make me raise an eyebrow. I'm like, okay, what is this really? It, it, a lot of times I feel yeah, like, like it stops, yeah. right?
1: I feel it's really limiting. Like, like it stops. Like, once you love your body, you're done with the right, work. Right, sure. <laughs> But then what about everybody else? Right. But I feel like it also. Uh,
0: it's depending upon whose post you're seeing and whatnot, there's a lot of like thrown around body positivity, but is it really, it's too steeped in yeah. diet culture. And I don't even engage with that yeah, anymore, no.
1: to be honest. Like I used to follow it, you know, the hashtag. Yeah, No, but, like, I don't either, but. <laughs> I am so, um, I feel like I've 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 just grown like i've i've evolved so like i don't really engage in those spaces anymore so i don't really know yeah. like what's well, every
0: once in a while happening. one one pops through and i'll see something yeah. and I'm just like oh is that really i don't mm. know well you I, know it's all good <laughs> <laughs> that's why that unfollow mute block unsubscribe those are really liberating yeah. buttons to I mean you know
1: like <laughs> And, like, you wish them well, oh, right? You wish them well on your journey, but I'm not necessarily going to be there with you, right. but I wish you well. Yeah,
0: no. Very cool, though. I thank you for explaining that, kind of the, the difference, and, and it is much broader and deeper. Mm-hmm. So you like to, you know, a lot of the work that you do, and you, you said this a little bit, too, is about, you know, disrupting status quo, and specifically in, like, yeah. current health and wellness spaces. Can you explain that, like, a little bit more? And how could someone... St- like advocate for their needs in a space like that.
1: Absolutely. Um, I can share my experience and I will be frank in that my experience is still really difficult. Um, I, you know, to be labeled to work to actively disrupt the status quo um, involves a lot of rejection, involves Mm -hmm. in a lot of retaliation. Um, It is, it is not easy a hundred percent whether you're advocating for yourself in a doctor's office, right? Or whether you're advocating for yourself and for what you believe um, in an employment setting, right? Um, This disruption is probably one of the most um, uncomfortable and unrewarding, (laughs) depending on how you define rewarding, unrewarding, um, processes you can engage in right and it's unrewarding in the sense that it's personally unrewarding um because it's a lot of you get a lot of crap right but you have to keep in mind what the bigger picture is exactly and so the way that i do it right um it's from a couple of different um aspects right you can do it personally um, for yourself Um, when you seek healthcare services, right? So I have come along in my journey far enough where, um, I have had the privilege as well as the opportunity to get healthcare providers, um, that are weight inclusive. And if they're not at least weight neutral, and if they do bring up my weight, um, that's usually attached to like another kind of racial qualifier, like, Oh, you're also Latina. So you're at higher risk for X, Y, and Z. Right. So, but uh, really becoming, coming uh, prepared with an arsenal um, (laughs) where you can advocate for yourself and you know, your rights as a patient and you know where to go when that visit does not go well. Right. And I, often think as somebody that I've 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 been working in public health specifically um for over 10, 12 years, right? So I so I'm pretty knowledgeable, I'm pretty well versed um in a lot of aspects of healthcare and the law and um what providers can or cannot do. Mm. Um and I understand that in itself is a privilege yeah right that a lot of folks that are not in the sphere of work um in a way health care and medical care do not make it easy to be your self-advocate yeah
0: no 100 percent. and i think too like I think about some of my own experiences and like and with my mom too, you know, we both are in larger bodies. My mom's her whole life she was heavy as a kid and and she'll talk about, you know, now like she'll push back because of me and like other mm-hmm. experts that she's, you yeah. know, Connected with whatever she learned or whatever. So she'll like push back at doctors now. And she'll say to me, you know, Teresa, growing up, like we were not taught to like question the doctor. Like you didn't question. You didn't didn't, like (laughs) you didn't like this is not what you did. So like even sometimes now, and I always say this when I'm doing like my self-care workshops, I'll talk about like the physical medical domain and I always do like a disclaimer. I'm like, listen, I'll speak for myself in a larger body. It's really hard to get weight neutral or weight inclusive care because, sometimes, you know, I go in my toes hanging off and the doctor's like, eh, well, what's your diet exercise look like? like yeah, you're not <laughs>
1: like have you tried losing weight?
0: Exactly. And you wouldn't believe I always get people that are like, oh, my God, like I've had the same experience. And like it might be annoying, but it's worthwhile to find those practitioners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I think that folks need to remember that medical providers, doctors, they take an oath to do no harm. And if you tell them, hey, this is causing me harm, they are under an obligation. To. Adapt their treatment plan or their approach for you not to feel harmed. That is an ethical obligation. Hundred percent. Um, and and so right, like I am hearing more about this being referred to as the doctor-patient relationship. Absolutely right. A relationship goes both ways. Um, and I hear you. I think a lot of people see medical providers as um absolute authorities and don't get me wrong they are they are well educated they are incredibly smart people right but still at the same time you are the expert of your body and you owe it to yourself to enter in a consensual relationship a professional medical relationship um to ask questions and get more knowledge and be completely informed in any decision you make about your body. That is your right, both from a legal perspective and from an ethical perspective.
0: hundred percent. I had somebody recently, it was last week sometime, I remember who it was, was like, oh, well, you know, I went to the doctors, you know, they, you know, they have to wait. I was like, oh, well, mm." Um, (laughs) actually you can, you can ask them not to. Well, yeah, like I know you can, but like, I'm like, no, no, like I, I, I need you to hear me. Like you don't, you don't, have to be weighed at the doctors office. was like i just i repeat it back to me for next time like, yep. and it like you know they tried it just i could see like the look i'm like come on like yeah you don't have to be weighed every right, time remember this you for next needed, time
1: you can decline being weighed you can you know come up with a plan of action that if your doctor does need your weight for one reason or another you can negotiate that like you can negotiate everything Sure. Um, because you are the expert of your body
0: mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely awesome we need more people to understand these concepts though and to start cultivating those patient um you know doctor relationships that are healthy mm-hmm. healthy like a it's, right it goes to yeah ways. it's reagan who i did one of her workshops reagan chastain and and she was like you're looking for a partner with you in your healthcare, not a parent Absolutely. like not an authoritative figure that's just gonna scold you like a
1: partner awesome yeah reagan you can't beat reagan and um her resources and the way that she empowers um, in people who are seeking healthcare, medical treatment yeah, um, in becoming their own um, advocates on their bodies. Yeah. I think she's she's an incredibly, in, incredibly rich resource. Agreed.
0: <laughs> we got to get her on the podcast one of these days. Um, yeah. So my, my last question for you is I noticed in your bio, you talk about your love of cooking and your, how much yeah. joy it brings you. So I'm just curious, what's your favorite meal to cook or your favorite thing to cook? Uh, I'm,
1: I'm such a seasonal um, cook. Like I get really excited to cook things based on the season. Okay. So for example, we're entering the warmer weather. I am a beast on a grill. Okay. I will grill anything and everything. <laughs> I will cook all of my meals on, on a grill. Um, and I have recipes Fun. to like to like to match. Um, during the warmer, during the cooler weather, of course, I'm a huge fan of soups. Nice. Um, I could probably eat soup every day. Um, but yeah, like I love variety in what I eat. Right. I cannot be like one of those people my spouse they could eat the same thing every day and never think twice about it. <laughs> I need to I'm not like that eat different things every single yeah. day, have, you know, like a range. So that's how I am with cooking as well. Um, Sometimes I really get in, in the mood to cook a certain cuisine. Um, and just kind of exhaust every single uh, recipe technique I can. um, And then I'll kind of move on to something else. So, but right now grilling Grilling. for sure. We're definitely in grilling season
0: (laughs) or fastly approaching anyway. And certainly I know you did mention your Instagram page, but if you just want to remind folks where they can connect with you and find you, your website, social media handles, that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I have a website. It is um, www.mbodylib com, um, and then you could find me on Instagram I also um, post a lot of specialized content on buy me a coffee oh, um, that's that. buymeacoffee.com embodylib um, and I'll do audio posts I do essays I review books um, I offer a ton of resources on my body on my buy me a coffee um, uh, that you don't necessarily see on my website uh, and I have a mailing list if you go on my website or if you uh, visit my instagram page the body lib advocate it's the underscore body lib b-o-d-y l-i-b underscore advocate um you'll see links to join my mailing list and my facebook twitter etc but i'm not as active on this sure
0: yeah well, we'll make sure that's all linked in the episode notes and you gave us some other resources we'll make sure that those are linked um there as well but the book you recommended and whatnot but thank you so much for joining me on the dr mc self-care cabaret podcast
1: awesome i am so glad that we got the time to talk today um i love um just sharing space with someone that sees self-care the same way i do um and you know helping and sharing it with the world awesome Likewise. Thanks, Petrilli.
0: Wasn't Petrilli great? I love how she defined self-care for herself and how she hit on so many of the domains that we know and love here at the Self-Care Cabaret. And her work is so important. I love how she explained the difference between body positivity and body liberation and what she said about the medical profession. Spot on, in my opinion. And remember you are the expert on your body. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you're feeling more energized and empowered. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe and leave a review for this podcast on your preferred platform. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. MC Self-Care and Dr. MC Self-Care Cabaret on LinkedIn. You can also visit my website, Dr. MC self for the latest updates and to sign up for Cast Party, my e-newsletter. And if you're interested in having Me present to an audience near you, email info at drmcselfcare.com. Thanks again. Stay well and do good.